What's going on, folks? Welcome to another episode of the Knicks Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Maggio, here today with Mike Cortez and Eli Cohen. What's going on, guys? What's up, man? Uh, we're going to be joined in a little while by a very special guest. Uh, Eli, who was that guest? Uh, Matt Babcock of Babcock Hoops, former agent turned uh, draft writer. There you go. So we got a little bit of draft talk and coverage and uh, about what that side of the NBA world entails um, and what, you know, kind of he has his eyes on and everything. But speaking of, you know, prospects and perhaps maybe younger players trying to come up and find their way in the NBA, uh, who better than R.J. Barrett amongst all of this all rookie talk in the NBA the last week or so? Uh, You know, I have spoken to you guys privately and off the pod about this uh, a number of different ways. Uh, I think – we're all pretty pro RJ here at this point. Uh, me and Mike have been riding this train for a very long time. And uh, even Eli is here now to help us stop the disrespect for RJ Barrett. And if you're wondering what we're referring to, um, some not official, but, you know, people putting their all rookie teams together, you know, whether it's Bleach Report, Zach Lowe, Chris Herring, a friend of the pod, friend of the brand. Um, a lot of these, a lot of these lists didn't include RJ Barrett. And, uh, I found that a little strange. And I, you guys know I'm not a Knicks, uh, a woke Knicks media conspiracy believer. I don't think that there's some vendetta against us. Um, but I, I, I do think that in this instance, it was a little bit strange. And I'd like to open the floor for you guys and ask what your opinions are on this. Because uh, I know that everyone knows how I feel. So I'd like to just let everyone know how you guys feel. It was disgusting. It was – the more I looked at it, He's number three in points, number three in total rebounds, number four in total rebounds, I'm sorry. And then he's also top ten in assists. He's seven. At a certain point, it's like the evidence is there. It feels like we're trying to do that thing where I'm seeing something you're not. He was one of the more – he was probably, besides Mitch, one of the only reasons to watch the Knicks this season. When he was out, it was painful to watch. He wasn't noticeably bad. Sure, the shooting was okay, but come on, really? Like he couldn't make the second team. I just find that very hard to believe. Yeah, you know, I'm for me, it's like he's been pretty controversial since he came into the league. Like a lot of guys really didn't like him. And it sort of makes sense. You know, we're in an age, I feel like, where efficiency is everything and counting stats don't really matter if they're not backed up by like high-level shooting. So it, it makes sense that like a lot of people would sort of discount the very real contributions he makes. But you know, like Mike said, this team was unwatchable without him. And beyond just unwatchable, they were they were just like, they were terrible. They were rudderless. It just devolved into Julius Randle taking the ball to the basket every time and losing it. So, I, you know, at a certain point, the actual contributions being made on the floor have to mean something. And, like, I get that there was, there there's something to be said for people playing smaller roles on good teams and producing and being good for a good team. Like, that – absolutely matters but 
being one of the few people who can make a team actually click a little bit seems like it should get a little bit more weight than it's getting with RJ. And I'm not sure if that's because so many people kind of put their foot down on him and, you know, made their stance as anti RJ to begin with. And so it's hard to pivot from that. Or if it's really just like there's, you know, you see a lot of articles talking about how RJ is a bad defender. And when, whenever any, like the only evidence that's brought up is like his advanced stats, which granted are really bad. He was unbelievably inefficient, like historically inefficient. You can't deny that, but you know, and I'm not even someone who, who's like watch the games, don't just look at the stat sheet. But if you watch the games, he is not a, a terrible defender. He obviously is not at a all. great defender, but he is like he works his ass off, and he you know he makes rotations, he digs in, and there's a lot to be said for that. He for someone who can do well-rounded contributions on a team that is just completely directionless. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think so, that, like, people – like, Zach Lowe acknowledges the situation that made it so hard for him, but I don't know if it, if enough weight is put on the fact that he was out there just, like, struggling against not only the other team, but but his own front office and his own team at times as well. Well, it, here's my thing, too, okay? Um, it's, it's counterintuitive for how they've led us to believe about things being important in the NBA. Like – for example, right? Like I, I understand that shooting is always going to be king. I'm the first one to tell you that shooting and scoring is vital, right? Um, however, again, and I, I brought this up too, I do think that everybody looking at the season samples sort of discounting just a couple of really bad dips versus the couple of good strong stretches that he had too because he was a little bit streaky, but it was pretty bad and then really good. So we're still trying to find a rookie – find his consistency and flooring uh, you know footing in the nba a little bit so i don't put a ton of stock in those lows being as low as they were and even still finished the season at 32 percent after flirting with that sub 30 for a while he was like 27 28 during one of those bad dips and he still turned it around to finish the season at 32 percent but it's counterintuitive in the sense that they've also led us to believe that scoring is in everything you have to have a good all-around floor game you have to you know watch the subtle nuances of the game to see that all these little things that players can do to be impactful, whether they're hustling or like you just said, Eli, making rotations or passes like Mike, you know, pointed to with him being top 10 and rookie assist, and he's a two guard. Um, I just don't know what we're doing anymore. If we're not going to have an honest discussion about basketball, like I, I understand that you want to make cases for, you know, guys who played smaller roles or good roles, even on uh, better teams. And again, I do think that that matters, but when we're talking about an award like this, we're talking about generally just the best overall rookies in a vacuum that you would take the best overall production over the course of a season. And if you look at the, the season totals that RJ Barrett had, it, this isn't just simply like saying, look at the counting stats, ignore the bad, but a lot of the bad advanced stats. And we know that advanced stats can be very faulty. That's not just an anti stats Kyle take. That's a, if you use basketball stats actively, you know how bad and flawed a lot of these can be and how much context is needed to really accurately use them when we're talking about these things, then you, yeah, you'd notice, like Eli said, like if it doesn't match up with him being a physical defender and, you know, digging in and rotating properly most of the time, as good as a 19, 20 year old is going to do, it, it just discounts a lot of those things that he brings to the table and brings, you know, to the discussion here when we're talking about all rookie. And I don't like to get caught up on meaningless awards all that often, but this one particularly bothered me because it was pretty evident that nobody watched. Because everybody wants to – anybody else, even if they struggle with shooting, if they play good defense, if they're hustling, if they pass well, 
they're the love of NBA Twitter, right? They're the love, the talk of the town because they're the new hipster favorite. Yeah, who cares if he doesn't shoot offenses and everything? Look at all these other things he does. Then an RJ Barrett comes and he's passing, he's defending, he's rebounding, he's still scoring. He's struggling scoring, but he's still scoring. What else do you want from a kid who's 19-20 coming into the worst offense, the worst franchise, and maybe the worst spacing situation in the league? Like, I don't know how you can accurately look at that and say there was 10 rookies better than him. I'm sorry. And what, what bothers call, me is – Call me biased, but I, it, it really does bother me this time. What bothers me is, okay, sometimes, like, Lowe's first team, Zion played 20 games. Whatever, Zion's going to be the first team. Eric Pascal, he played for a garbage Warriors team. RJ averaged more points than him. What else was Pascal doing that was that crazy that it caused the Warriors to have the worst record in the league, you know? Like, we're kind of picking and choosing. Same thing with Kobe White and Tyler Harrow. Tyler Harrow probably got the Miami bump because he was good for Miami and Miami's a good team. Kobe White just got hot a couple of times. I mean, unless I'm missing something, if I'm misspeaking, guys, please call me out. But uh, <laughs> I think R.J. Barrett's better well, all around. Co- co- Kobe, White got, Kobe White got rewarded for his couple of hot stretches, and they totally glossed over all the other shit that was going on with him. But then R.J. is getting punished for his hot stretches. Because if you take those uh, – sorry, if he's getting punished for his cold stretches. If you take those dips from R.J., and we're only looking at him being hot at the end of the season, and that's why, you know, White's getting a vote, then why isn't RJ? It's just – it's yeah. a very – And me, White shot me, worse, by the way. The, the, the double standards are abound this time, and that's about – like one or two, I can let things skate. Like normally you guys know how I am. Like, all right, I can see your point. Not, not that big of a deal, not the end of the world. But you're going to be this off this many times on this kind of discussion just with your own, like – logical reasoning that's when it bothers me i like, think it's just, just call it just call it just call it straight just call it yeah, straight. It's a couple biases, I ask. couple biases working here a it's the kind of like lebron mellow dynamic with rj and zion because whatever rj does whether people acknowledge it or not it's always going to be like well zion did this mellow dealed with it his whole dealt with it his whole career i think rj's dealing with that as well as ja so anything he does it's immediately gonna be like well these two are doing that and then you have the Knicks bias, who people usually always hate, and especially after they have egg on their face last summer, they were going to nitpick anything. I think Mitch is the only one that's been exempt from Nick slander because every other player is just like, well, he's not doing this, he's not doing that. It's, yeah. But the, the thing that gets me above all with these rookie awards is that they've always traditionally been like counting stat awards, right? Yes. They've always, always. been, almost always been like, well, it's not that serious. It's just, you know, the production for rookies is basically measured on – did you do the most stuff for your team this year? It's almost always given that way. Almost always. And it's just just very it's just very strange to me that in this instance that RJ, they don't even want to put him in. Again, I'm not even saying he should be rookie of the year or in the discussion for rookie of the year or even first team. I am simply advocating. I want to clearly make my point. I am simply advocating that he deserved a spot on the second team this year. You could, you could make the first case – uh, first team case, if you if you really wanted to, like I I could if I really wanted to be insane about it, but I'm just trying to be a reasonable person to ask you to just he should be on that second team. Just as as a, as a NBA fan, not even as a Knicks fan, as an NBA fan who watched so much of RJ Barrett and then had to read so much of what people said RJ Barrett was when he clearly was not that. It's it makes me very angry. Just at least watch the games a little bit more. Go back and watch the tape. Watch his minutes more closely. I don't know what, what you guys have to do. But please, please just stop misrepresenting. That's all that I'm asking. I don't even care that you guys get after him for the, the shooting percentages and everything. But, like, we got to stop pretending that he wasn't passing, he wasn't rebounding. Uh, he wasn't doing these things that other guards especially get praised for at a young age that 
he can't seemingly get a, a single compliment even. It, the, the, look, normally I'm the wet blanket guy on this one. This time I'm, I'm, I'm with the, the Knicks outrage. This one really bothered me. Uh, no reason for it. No, it's a travesty. It's a travesty. Yeah, to go a step further, the lineup that he did play well in in the preseason, we barely saw Fisdale rarely played Robinson, played him with Robinson, Knox, Frank, and even Randall. I remember it was, it was the Wizards game. That, that lineup did really well, and they kind of just totally went away from it. Like, Fisdale never brought that lineup back out. So I know Lowe acknowledged that it was a bad situation, but it was pretty pathetic. Not, not enough. Not a, it's like a hand wave. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was the Knicks. It was bad, you know? But what can you do? That's basically the gist I got from, our, like, from Lowe. Like, if you're watching the game, I mean, like guys, Eli, Eli pointed out the beginning. Like, you're, you're watching RJ drive into multiple guys because there's no spacing. Or you're watching him – actively getting looked off for worse decisions by veteran players. And it's, it really makes me wonder how much some of these guys actually do watch, you know, uh, please just be a little bit more astute in, in your analysis because it, it was off base. It really well, that's was. what bugs me out. Low watches game. Like I know for a fact, he does. Zach, he watches does. a ton of games. That's what like bugs me out about that. He does, but uh, not Ooh. enough and, and not the Knicks here. I'd love to talk to him about this. He, he's dead wrong on this one. Well, what it, I mean to me, what it comes down to is like I I don't think that RJ necessarily separated himself from this pack of people who we see in like the first and second team. Like, I think we can say uh, that. I, I mean, I mean, I think I I, I don't know. I think a, that, we're only arguing for guys that we're thinking he definitively did separate himself from. Like, I, I don't think he separated himself from the pack from like Rui Pascal and Kobe White. Like, I think that there's. There's how, an how, did he, how did he not separate himself from Pascal? Hold on, hold on. I think there's an argument to be made for any of them. And I think that there's a, there's a very good argument that RJ's situation depressed his numbers more than it should have. Um, but, I mean, like, if you, if you look at just the numbers and if you look at the role they played, like, Pascal came off the bench and Kobe White came off the bench, right, and Terrence Davis came off the bench. But, like, they're producing roughly equivalent things. But my thing is more that – RJ seems to get dinged for stuff that the other people don't. Like if we're talking yep. efficiency, Kobe shot worse from the field. Yep. Pascal and Rui both shot worse from three. So are we, is it really just free throws that it but comes down to? Me. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to but me. But this is my like, point about he did separate himself. This is my point because if it is just about, okay. So if they're only knocking him for his like efficiency, right? Because that's the only real true knock. Having watched him all year, we can all pretty much agree. That it's the only real true knock because especially, and this is the point, if you go back to the counting stats, if he's top five in so many things, then what was he not doing production-wise? What was he not doing? Because he's there – what is he there for, steals? He's there for what, rebounds? He's there for passing? Also, how many games can you guys recall off the top of your head that RJ completely cost also, us the game? Also, hold on, hold on, real quick, too. And about the, the Pascal com, uh, coming off the bench, he still started 26 games. So before the games got canceled, he started like half the season. So guys were starting, too. So And he shot 20 – nine percent from three whereas rj shot 32 percent mm-hmm. so again you know similar overall counting stats output but if rj shot better from three he played good defense like again what what is the penalization for rj barrett then who started and had a bigger role and was a focal point you know put up some better numbers or some better you know uh parts of his game it to me it's just again w- what did he do then on a bad team how did he get to first team 14 to 4 and suspect shooting numbers i yeah, mean see, that's my question because i because i really do think that like it's not it's not a balance saying. it's not a balanced argument it's like rj so rj basically 
just a crack second team in this point. RJ basically would have had to have been top five in all the things that he was top five in and also have shot at an above average clip for basically a first year player coming in, right? So he would have had to come in and shoot what, 35% or so from deep just to get any respectability in this conversation, which means from the field, he would need to shot 45, 46%, which means his points would probably went up to like 16, 17%, which means we're talking about a rookie of the year campaign that John Moran just had. So what exactly well, I think it's really is the just, conversation that we're doing? If he shot like 70, doing? like low 70s from the free throw line, I honestly think that if, if he did that, then all of a sudden those, you know, the true shooting percentages all even out. And, uh, and again, it's like, if that's, if that's, so I agree that if that's the big differentiator, it's an insane conversation. It's insane. It's an but insane I, conversation. But like the it's fact is like, I think that he left himself in that category because, you know, even if you look at their, you know, these, all these guys per 36 and whatever, like the, the production is roughly equivalent. So it's, it's, I don't think, I actually disagree with you guys that it's like a travesty. I think that it's, kind of lame that he's getting judged by it. I know you do. I think it's, I think it's weak that he's being judged by a slightly different standard. I don't think that it's some like, you know, highway robbery, but I do think that I do, I do question why he gets dinged for things that other people don't and why, why his, his real strength seem to get diminished in comparison to other people who like, I I don't know what, what is Pascal? Like he's, he's a pretty good scorer, a bad shooter. I don't really know what, Yes. It's a travesty because of who is making the picks. It's a travesty because Zach Lowe, who I know watches games, is making the picks. And he decided watching 30-some-odd games of, you know, Eric Pascal starting and just, you know, doing moderate production. These are guys that are supposed to value the basketball IQ, the nuances of the game, the guys who argued vehemently that Embiid and his monstrous 30 – you know, 33, 34 games his rookie season weren't enough to offset the very pedestrian numbers from Malcolm Brogdon, who was just such a smart and impactful basketball, you know, basketball player that it simply outweighed all those dominant producing numbers. So to me, it's just like the goalpost is never ending and where it gets moved to for who qualifies for certain things and who doesn't. You cannot convince me. And, and again, this is not an Eric Pascal diminishing campaign. This is just a simply, how did he get all the way up to first on such a bad team looking at, his season numbers, and like Eli put it, is it just the free throws then? Is it? like Because if not, he's a power forward, then of course his, his overall field goal percentage is going to be up higher. He's near the rim a little bit more. So what, what exactly did he do? Four rebounds for a power forward? That got rewarded? It's just, it's very silly. It, I don't know how guys, that, that's to me is why it's a travesty. It's because you had to go to great lengths to boost other lesser guys up to give them sort of illogical, flimsy arguments that they have to stand on to simply disprove that RJ, you know, to prove that RJ is bad. It's just no matter which angle you come from, no matter which player that we could we could pick here, whether it's like a, a Terrence Davis or a Pascal, like different reasons for different guys here, it just doesn't make sense no matter which way you attack it, in my opinion, obviously. I would like the actual NBA ballot to come out and correctly do this and people aren't insane and RJ makes the list, but I, th- that is why I'm so flustered. It's, it's such a smart guy making such different arguments seemingly across his list. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy for me that really, like, I, I completely agree with the Pascal thing. I, I don't understand how he's first team. And I, the Rui thing, like, I don't really see what separates Rui and RJ at all, like, in favor of Rui. Like, I, I mean, he shot worse. He attempted fewer threes. He's much worse on defense. He 
you know, he got more rebounds by a little bit, but like, and, and he, you know, he was starting on a terrible team too. I, I really, I just don't see like, okay, you can say, yes, we'll just, we'll go to the advanced stats and they're slightly higher in Rui's case, although they're all still pretty bad, but yeah, I like Rui to me, you know, he was supposed to be kind of like a stretch big who comes in and can shoot. And I thought he was much more disappointing than RJ did. Granted, I only watched the Wizards when they were playing someone more interesting, but like, yeah, I, I, I just, I, it seems like the arguments made against RJ could be made against most of these guys with the exception of like Terrence Davis. Um, I do think like with Kobe White, it's really interesting because he did have an absolutely scorching stretch that was better than any stretch that RJ had, I think, in my opinion. Yeah. And he, where he really showed some like kind of change the floor potential where you could be like, oh, this guy could actually be like someone who really affects your, uh, you know, your, your game plan. But like, like you said, that, that was a very small, I mean, it wasn't a very small sample, but it was a small sample at the end of the season. And I think that a lot of that is like maybe a little bit of recency bias and RJ, again, RJ's highs weren't quite as high and weren't quite as splashy because he's not shooting like 10 threes in a game. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it so, sort of seems arbitrary. And to me, that's the frustrating thing. My, my last note on this um, is that even, so you noted how Rui was slightly better in the advanced stats, but they were still bad. The other thing that folks have to start acknowledging is that like after the first, I, I forget where it is, but it's like, Eli, correct me if I'm wrong. After the first like hundred or so, the degrees of separation for like the bottom, like as you get towards the bottom of the list, like aren't very much. Like the things that swing those guys, like, like I, I know, especially from like the three to 400 range, like the things that, that separates those guys from like a 300 rank to a 400 rank are like minuscule. Like they, they're not, mm-hmm. they're not, they're not there because these stats aren't made to do these kinds of measurements, first of all. And this is one of the flaws with them. And so when you rank guys that way, that's why this is not a concrete thing because if a hundred guys could be split up and be, you know, sell you know, uh, separated by such a, a small amount, it, it really isn't ranking a whole hell of a lot. So that, that's another reason I don't like it too, because it's like, yeah, well, what exactly are you rewarding then? Because if you use these stats often, you know that, like, you know, that it doesn't really mean much if Ruby's slightly ahead of him. Well, and it's worth pointing out that, like, he's ahead of him in the offensive stats, like, and he was in the, one of the best offenses in the league somehow. I'm still not sure how Washington pulled that off while RJ was in, like, the absolute worst possible offense. So, like, of course, his offensive stats are worse. I would like to point out that his defensive box plus minus, how if you care about that at all, is slightly higher than Rui's. But, like, I, I mean, I've, I think that – I honestly think that using advanced stats for rookies on terrible teams is kind of dumb anyway. It just is. because, you know, everything is stacked against them. The whole thing about evaluating rookies is, you know, you're looking for the flashes. You're looking at what they can do when they're put into situations that might be, you know, kind of throwing them in the deep end. So I, I think that like the idea of using advanced stats as a differentiator for like all NBA makes a lot of sense because these guys are, you know, basically not necessarily finished products, but you know, they have learned the NBA game and now you're just looking at like the minutia of what separates them for these guys. I, I, I really think that like what you do in the time you're given is important. And, you know, if you can contribute on a big workload as a 19 year old rookie in the NBA, 
that matters. And that should give you, I think that should buy you a little bit more leeway. That, thank you. And to a larger point, this is why I kind of get frustrated when people uh, discredit even like certain volume scores. Like there's a skill in the workload that you can manage. These guys are getting drafted top five, top 10, you know, in RJ, Ja, Zion's case, top three, because teams expect and intend you to have a large workload and excel at some point. And they want to get you those reps and having a larger workload. And even when, if the Knicks, the Knicks didn't do a good job of it at all, especially in prioritizing his development or maximizing, uh, you know, his, his floor game, but they still let him have the ball a decent amount of time to try to make something happen, you know? And he did in a lot of those cases. And I, it just makes you wonder if he was on a better team, like what would have happened? But there, there is, it does matter that you carry a workload like that. It does matter that you do more or you're asked to do more. It does because we see it even with role players. It, sometimes role players are asked to do a whole hell of a lot and they look terrible. And sometimes role players are asked to do a little bit and they look great. Like we don't know with rookies quite yet. So th they're sort of thrown into the fire. And yes, if you can manage a little bit more and, you know, RJ ends up top five in almost everything that he's been doing out there. Yeah, I'm going to – it looks like he's, you know, been busy because he has been busy on both sides of the ball. Like, sometimes it isn't just fool's gold with the counting stats. Like, you know, sometimes you can actually go back to look at the advanced stats and be like, oh, maybe maybe we missed something then. If he, if he shows up in all these different areas, if he's checking all these different boxes, then maybe maybe we missed something then. It, se it seems like he was doing a whole lot there. That, that should be your first thought. Oh, R.J. Barrett's on all these top five lists? Really? That's strange for somebody who supposedly stunk so bad. How is he – well, he, surely he must have been playing 35 – oh, he wasn't playing 35 minutes a night. So how is he accumulating all these stats? Well, what, is the, what, is, what is the purpose of him accumulating these stats then? For nothing? He's just out there top five and everything for nothing? It, it counts for nothing? It's just – I mean, technically he's doing it for the Knicks, so kind of. But I, I, I hear yes. what you're saying, and it's interesting coming, you know, off of like our last high-profile rookie being Porzingis, who was – you know, obviously he was all rookie um, and was much better right away than RJ was. But, you know, he was another guy who advanced stats always undersold. It always had him way – if you just looked at advanced stats, you would not think that he was an impactful player because he didn't rebound much in his first two years, right? And, like, and that alone just, like, tanked him in a lot of advanced stats. And, you know, and now he's put on weight and he's starting to rebound. And it's just, like – yeah, the, these guys are young and they make mistakes and a lot of the time they don't know what the hell they're doing, which I think can also sometimes, you know, give more weight to older players who come in. Like if you look at the list, Clark, Pascal, Pascal uh, Terrence Davis, Kendrick, they, like, they're all older guys. They're all older guys. PJ Washington, uh, like these guys all came in a few years older and like ready to contribute and on good situations. And so obviously that is going to, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. Obviously that is going to help you out versus being a 19 year old put in the worst possible situation. And it's, so it's just weird to me when people acknowledge that, like, especially like Zach Lowe acknowledges that multiple times and he's done it throughout the season. He said, yeah, RJ is in the worst possible situation for him. But then he's, sort of he's hedging because like, he knows but, he's wrong. He's hedging because he knows he's well, wrong. Well, yeah. But like, I, like he, don't he worry, guys. That, but then don't he, worry, guys. I'm a, I'm aware. I'm aware it was bad. I'm aware. I'm aware it was really bad. But yeah, but but we're gonna but, discount that and just like move on. And I mean that that carries a lot of weight. If you're in the worst situation in basketball and you're still being insanely productive, 
that kind of shows like imagine what he would be like in a it, good situation it, it, it angers me and it, and it anger and it doesn't again it doesn't even anger me as a bas- uh, as a as a Knicks fan it doesn't even anger me as a biased Knicks fan it just really angers me as uh, just from a basic basketball perspective it, it could have been any rookie that was left off that list from and I'm being totally serious and if you guys see the things that I get angry about online especially then you would know that I'm being very serious here it could have been almost anybody and if they are showing up and top five everything and you know the people that cover that team are always telling me yeah actually I don't know what this nonsense is about his defense he's actually pretty good and no matter who you speak to that's consistent and it's like yeah man I'd be kind of annoyed too if all these people are saying like oh you know he's top five in all these categories he, he played good defense he, so, so what, is, what is it that we're missing? That just seems to be like the same question we're asking. What is it that we're missing? Like, I, I could have been well, about it. I could have been annoyed for anybody. It's rule of everything. It's that, that's what it is. I feel like that we are in the age of efficiency being the end all and be all. Like, that is just what people are judged by right off the bat. And, you know, then maybe we, we can take into account all the other things. But first and foremost, it's efficiency. And I think you lose a lot of it's work like, the, ass the texture. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, like what we were talking about before about like a volume score, people just act like that's a dirty word where, you know, oh, a volume score. I mean, we're playing basketball. I mean, we're not playing basketball. They're playing basketball. The point is to score the basketball. Like, what? Volume scoring has a great place and most teams need a volume scorer to become good. Stop this. Wait, Eli, I know it's crazy. It's a crazy I, idea, Eli, right? Eli, Eli, hold on. So you're telling me I can't put four Frank Milikinas out there, one Mitchell Robinson and expect to win games? That's oh, well, wild. I mean, you might win it at like 30 to 25, but <laughs> yeah, you, it turns out you actually need people to put the ball in the bucket. What a concept, man. What a, it's crazy. Really, really I, I'm, I'm floored by this, but I, yeah, I, I wish, and again, I try not to sound like, like a points per game truther or that efficiency doesn't matter because you guys know that I, I am, I'm big on that, you know, like. Frank Milikina needs to not shoot like shit. Kevin Knox needs to not shoot like shit. R.J. Barrett needs to mostly keep not shooting like shit if what I think is going to be true for him. It's like, it's, it's, not, it's not hard, but it's also not the end-all, be-all. Like, if, you, if you're a Frank Milikina, right, and you defend, but you can't score, you don't pass enough, and I don't want to hear about the, the, the Frank passing through. He can't really right? dribble. Okay, he can't really dribble. If he sees a trap, he's done, Okay. That's the guy where you look and go, oh, well, he's averaging like seven, two, and one, and his shooting numbers stink. And oh, okay, maybe, maybe we do kind of get the full story. Maybe he's just a good defender, and then that's it. And then, and then you can understand why the efficiency numbers aren't good. And then you look at a guy like RJ, where the efficiency still isn't where you want it to be, but then it's an entirely different situation. It's like the context is always going to matter for who you're discussing. If you're just looking at who shot better percentage-wise, and you're not looking at the types of shots that they had to take or were forced into or the offensive scheme. It, to me, it just, it, it's just – it's really a disservice to those who are actually watching the game. And it's not just a Knicks fan thing. It's for anybody – because there's RJ fans who are in the NBA who feel this way who aren't Knicks fans. There's people who – and not many, but there are people like that. So <laughs> if, you're, if, you're watching, if you're watching RJ Bear play basketball consistently, you know what he brings to the table. That's all that I'm saying. It, it, you you saw the full slate to some degree. I, I just think that, you know, like Eli put it, what are we missing and what is he getting penalized for that the others aren't, I think is the best way to put it. And if it really is efficiency, uh, I, I continue to ask my media, you know, friends and colleagues and everybody's got to do better. If, if we're only still in 2020 and we're doing all this uh, efficiency end-all deal, 
do better or at least be consistent and look at that list before you make that argument because it's not it's not right but alas here's the one thing here's the one thing i wonder is you know for a guy who has been you know an elite prospect for his entire life you know he was the number one pick projected coming into the college season before zion obviously overtook him i i do kind of wonder if not making the all rookie team could actually be you know something that's good for him like he already is a grinder and we know that about him like that's one thing that i really like about him is like it seems like his work ethic is really genuine and really like he's really driven but having that extra little chip on his shoulder that like little desire to prove people wrong is not necessarily the worst thing so i will be interested to see if he doesn't get an all rookie spot how that kind of like i'm sure he'll come out and say something and i'm sure it's gonna be diplomatic because he's super polished and you know talks like a politician out there but i i do think that there is a sense that it could maybe not be the worst thing in the world for him to miss out on that and to come into next season really with a whole like you know me against the the, the world kind of mentality I don't know. I'll be interested to see how he responds. Yeah. The, the last thing that I want to say here too, is that the thing that bothers me about like the zo- the low picks are like the thing, I'm going to just read what he said about uh, Kobe white. And then you tell me if that sounds like somebody that he's endorsing for a pick or somebody he's desperately trying to make fit into that pick. This is that, this is it. Okay. I didn't particularly enjoy watching white's hoggish chucking but he averaged 20 points at 4.5 dimes over his last 15 games, I guess because we're only going to consider 15 games out of his 60-ish game season, while shooting 37% for deep, uh, from deep on eight attempts. The pull-up three is a career-making shot, and White looks like he might have a decent one based off 15 games that we're going off of here. He's not a bad uh, playmaker when he remembers passing is legal. So he's a hoggish he, 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 chucker. We're going off 15 games, and he's not a bad player, a playmaker when he remembers passing his legal after having called him a haggis chucker. That guy – And that's not even getting into the fact that his defense is atrocious, like doesn't atrocious, even try. Atrocious on a miserable team, and off of 15 games, he got a, he got a Zach Lowe pick. Like, that, that's, the stuff that bo- that's the stuff that bothers me, though. Because okay, that, that, so why can't you use the headband row stretch if you want to go like – That's it, it, what I'm no, saying. Mike, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know why, but it doesn't work that way. I'm starting to think, like, just off that paragraph alone, I'm starting to think it's just future projection, and he's just not high on. He's just bearish on RJ for the future, which is he's entitled to his opinion. He's a smart guy, but rookie season is this year. You're telling me Kobe White. So if we're doing a redraft, that's the way I think about it. If we're doing a redraft, all these guys are going before RJ. Get the hell out of here. This is the thing that gets me though on his uh, RJ point because I don't want this to just be stuff that we say that Lowe said and not his actual words. I want to sprinkle in a couple little things that he actually said. So for RJ, he said, but his but his case ends at points per game. So he could have said nothing after that sentence, and it already would have been laughably wrong. But again, I digress, and I'll continue here. He ranks among the half dozen worst rookies in most advanced stats. He shot 43% on twos and 61% from the line. Again, now we're not even bringing up the three-point shooting, which he actually got back towards respectability towards the end here. And he just seems to, for whatever reason, keep comparing him against uh, Rui Hachimura for his <laughs> scoring and his also his percentages from two-point range, which is weird because Hachimura is always at the rim a little bit more based on his position. But again, I digress. So I, I don't really know what Zach Lowe's point was. I, that, that's my big problem here. If it was a little bit more concise 
and it made sense. But if you're saying his point, if the case ends at points per game, and you're comparing him against Rui, and then Kobe White makes it based off a 15-game stretch, it, this feels very lazy to me. This yeah. feels very lazy to me. I, I don't – because it doesn't make sense. That I, You guys, I, I get angry by, uh, you know, when there's no logic. There's no logic here. There's no true logic other than I didn't watch enough R.J. Barrett. I didn't care to watch enough R.J. Barrett. And based off of me checking basketball reference this morning as I went to make my picks and locked them in, I'm going to pop in Kobe White. That's yeah. the vibe that I get from this. And I hate I mean, that I, I get, even have to say it about him. And I get the Knicks are watching the Knicks are a chore, especially if they're not your favorite team, which is fine. But don't – like that whole Kobe paragraph is just gross. It's gross. Because it's acknowledging it's, it's like, okay, I'm kind of shooting the shit at this point. But then but, – So for me, just like the one thing, like, okay, I agree with everything you're saying except for like I'm 100% sure Zach Lowe has watched a bunch of Knicks games this year because he's like a sadist in that way and watches more tape than probably anyone. To me, what it strikes me as is like these guys were all cl- these guys are all clustered together, and he just found like sort of the easiest possible rationale. Like I'm just gonna I have all these guys. I'm not sure which one I want to choose. All right, let's just go to basketballreference.com. So I don't think it's that he's not watching. I think he is a power sure. forward that he's comparing to R.J. Barrett on multiple occasions for scoring and shooting percentages. It, it's an illogical argument on, num- on numerous fronts. Like so, even if he is watching, then. It's even worse because if you watched all of RJ and this is the argument that you have for him at the end of it, what, what, then you shouldn't have even, you should have just left him, you shouldn't have even touched on it then. You shouldn't have even explained because this doesn't make sense. Why are you comparing a power forward to him multiple times? Can anybody answer that question? Why, Why would, why would comparing a rookie power forward multiple times other than he's a rookie and on the second team? Honestly, why, why would, why would that be your, so would, wouldn't Kobe White have been a little bit more reasonable then? If you're going off the season Would have made a slate, lot more sense. Would have yeah. made a lot more sense. And even then, Kobe stinks. So it should have been a no-brainer. <laughs> I just – I don't – it bothers me. It bothers me because I expect more from Zach Lowe, a guy that I've always trusted his opinion. And I well, still do. I still do. Fair, I, just, I just don't like this. This is very – this is bad. This is bad. Right. But to be fair, he also mentioned Mitchell Robinson for sixth man of the year, which I forgot until just now my – Cooler head finally prevailed. So no. he is watching the games. It's just, I don't know. Then, then to me, again, then to me, that that's just confirmation bias. That I just thought RJ Barrett was going to be bad. Uh, his case ends at points per game. He was bad, like I said he'd be. And I'm sorry, Knicks fans. That's all I've got. It, it's just not. But what bothers yeah, me is his case he, ending he, at points per game is is they, like, that's I'm ridiculous. So, uh, my issue is like if this was a if this was any blogger, if this was anybody online, I wouldn't I wouldn't have cared. When you're Zach Lowe and you're like the gatekeeper of like the the, the smart. NBA take you can't be the guy saying his case ends at points per game if you watch his entire season and you watch him do all those things that's, yeah, that's what I don't completely like involved in because now because now, now you're outright lying like to me that's the issue you're out you're outright lying about things that have happened to people so now everybody's gonna look at this and go RJ shot like shit his case ends at points per game which means he's an empty stats chucker who doesn't pass or do anything else and that's gonna be the runaway from it like tell the story the right way or don't tell it at all if you're gonna use the advanced stats then you should be able to tell all the right context for it too all that I ask. Yeah, but, no, I couldn't agree more. Uh, on that note, I'd like to just quickly pivot to some happier times. Uh, I'm sorry about that running a little bit longer. Uh, didn't expect that. I, that was, that was going to be a 20-minute segment to the listeners. <laughs> um, but you can't mess up on a, a – a, you can't mess up that dramatically, in my opinion. But on a happier note, we're going to talk bubble real quick. Uh, just general stuff. I've enjoyed it. 
I want to just, I don't even have a topic for this because the games have all been mostly very good. I just want to know your guys' thoughts after a fun opening couple of games, especially the opening night. And I know uh, Grizzlies, Blazers was a, uh, an absolute ton of fun too. So a lot, a lot of good basketball happening in the bubble. Yeah. So three things. One, anyone who said Mello was done, you can eat a you-know-what. Apologize right now. <laughs> Out loud in your vehicles, in your rooms, wherever you listen to this pod. Just, and there's just a lot of people sorry. trying we'll to sneak you. in. I'm seeing a lot of people trying to sneak it in. Like, Mello, Mello's good, man. It's just like, yeah, I remember you calling him trash like five months ago, buddy. Watch it. Like, anyway, two, Devin Booker is the Devin Booker super trade that I tried to push on you guys two, three weeks ago. Yep. That was probably one of my stupider takes because the Suns are actually very enjoyable and look like a real basketball team that's he's fun not to watch. Really fun. Yeah, he's not really going fun. anywhere. And then three, I have a tie for third. Alvin Gentry, what are you doing with Zion Williamson? Even if you have a minutes limit, we talked about it before the pod. Even if you have 15 minutes, my man, you have three minutes left, right? Save that to the end. What are you doing? And then kind of yeah, a that's bonus. That's the thing I don't understand. More than right. just like just play him. I just why not just save it for when you really need it? Yeah. Do you have do you understand the advantage Zion a fresh Zion Williamson would have on a bunch of tired legs? Like you can't be that dumb. You really just can't be that so dumb. I don't it in his in his defense. And Alvin There's Gentry, no defense. In Alvin Gentry and only Alvin Gentry's defense. When they've asked him about this at the press conferences, he seems fed the fuck up. He like he seems very no, annoyed but, about not being able to play Zion. So I think this is There's a, no way. So you think I, you're saying they're saying don't play in the last yeah, two minutes? Yeah, I 100%. I, it, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Whoever says that deserves to be fired. Okay. This, this, is, this is my thing. They just had, uh, they had Griffin on TV doing the spiel to explain the Zion situation because people are outraged. And what was he's, his he's, he's on there basically saying, you know, and, and citing, and again, not passing off, he's citing that the medical team uh, – the, the staff, they've all came to this decision, and it's not just for Zion. It's for any player who goes through a situation like this, is what Griffin said, um, is that they'd have to take a precautious, uh, you know, way about ramping things back up, and everybody would be watched in such a way. And I, I to a degree, sure, right? I'm sure that happens for everybody. For Zion, of course, I know he's BSing a little bit here because for Zion, of course, it's going to happen more. He's your, he's your crown jewel. Of course, you're going to protect him more. So – to me, it made them just sound like, you know, well, our medical team, you know, they, they put together this really detailed, this good plan, and it's got to go exactly how they said. And, you know, basically, they're all just saying, like, that's the science. Like, you guys can argue with science. And to that, I say, you can. He's 19 years old. He's built like a Mack truck. The entire NBA conspired to get you guys the schedule that you needed to have a fighting chance to get to the playoffs. The whole reason the Blazers – Chase LeBron, the, James. The, the, the whole reason the Blazers, the Kings – the Suns are even in the bubble right now. So Zion has a chance to get a playoff spot. And you're going to stare me in the face and tell me that when you're playing for meaningful games, the 19-year-old, the refrigerator on wheels, Zion Williamson, he can't play two minutes to close the game out. And, and even if it was two additional minutes, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. But to Eli's point too then, well then, you, or you know, Mike and Eli, you got to play him towards the end of the game. You got to make sure that he's available no matter what for that break in case you need them for those extra couple minutes to close the game. It, on a number of fronts, today doesn't matter. They're getting just embarrassed. Mollywop. Embarrassed Mollywop by the Clippers. Today doesn't matter. But it was that previous game 
that was so disheartening. Uh, such a fun game. It was, you know, Jazz, Pelicans. It was a lot of fun, back and forth, big runs both ways. Ingram was having a great first half, and the Jazz are coming back, and Mitchell comes down late because he's a gamer, and it, it was great. It was great. And then, you know what would have made it better was Zion Williamson playing a close meaningful game. game to close the game out, even if they lose. Gives Iron a chance. How do you let Rudy Gobert close a game out on you? Like, come on. <laughs> My question is, how does Zion go through an entire, even a 15-minute game without getting a single rebound? That's, that's honestly the part that I don't understand. Like, how yeah, does that happen? I'm just so caught up on the minutes, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I, I it's, don't know. It's gross, and it's just shove your detailed plan where the sun don't shine, man. Just, because... just play the guy. <laughs> I, I will say, though, I will say, though, uh, on the bubble note, I didn't want to touch on this because we're going to talk about Melo. We're going to talk about Ja. We're going to talk about all the guys that we normally talk about because we love them and they're a lot of fun. I want to give DeAndre Ayton some shine on this podcast. I'm going to be the oh, guy. I'm going to play okay. my flag. DeAndre Ayton needs some love. All right. Oh, he's good. He, he, oh, oh, he's more than good. He's damn good. He's shooting threes. He's a menace at the rim. We have to start talking about DeAndre Ayton, all right? Nobody's doing it. I know it's not sexy. We're not supposed to give the big men love in 2020. I understand that. He was in the same draft as Luca. We can only focus on Luca. I'm aware, but he has been great. And I understand that he just – I mean, they, they watched the Wizards, uh, which is not anything special with the current situation of the, the Wizards lineup, and especially with that Bradley Beal. But – he looked really good, man. And he's been doing this a lot of the year. I know Eli's with me here, but he's looked good. He's looked good, and people got to start giving him his respect. I love seeing him eat the other night. He was just knocking down those shots from deep. He was putting on an absolute clinic all game. I want to see more of it. That kid is good. I'm excited to see what he does. Sons are fun, man. Yeah, that, but he, he, Booker, and Bridges are going to get them to the playoffs for, for the next few years. I, I like Cam Maybe Johnson, not next too. year, but I, I'm – yeah, Cam Johnson has been better. Like, everyone gave the Suns shit for Cam Johnson, but he's been, he's been a good role player for them. Yeah, no, 100%. And now I want to bounce a question off you guys because going back to that Booker pod, which is probably one of my worst takes in recent memory, Mitchell was brought up as a star. I'm seeing a lot of Mitchell slander on the timeline today, calling him – I've seen him called Tony Roten. I've (laughs) seen him called a couple other things. Do you think he's a number one option? Because it looks like he's on the bad side of Twitter, which isn't always a bad thing technically. He he could be. Um, And this is – I think he's he's the number – Go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, look, I, I think often with young players, like we sort of do with the Ben Simmons and Bede stuff, um, when they exceed our initial expectations in, in, in such a dramatic fashion, like those guys where they're all stars in their first couple years, um, we then basically say, like, you got to get better again quickly or else, like, that's it. And it was like flash in the pan kind of stuff, you know? Like, now we got to break the Sixers up two years and two deep playoff runs in because – Oh no, Joel Embiid and and uh, Ben Simmons, who are so young and so early in their careers, can never work together. It's just I don't know why we're always in a rush to like box guys in. I think he's he's done more than enough early in his career to show that there's a legitimate chance he could be a, a top guy on your team. I don't know about like bona fide like a like a Luca Harden kind of guy, like like a top top of the league top of your team. But I don't see why he couldn't just be the best player on like a like a Dame to a CJ. Like, I don't see why there's any reason why if you don't get him a another dynamic offensive player that isn't a Rudy Gobert getting maxed out, why that Jazz team wouldn't be a little bit better. I don't know. I just – I think there's a chance. I, I'm not going to say I'm, like, 100% confident, but I think rolling it out because he's a little bit inefficient or a little bit streaky early in his career is a little bit tough. We, we see that he's a pretty good defender. We see that he's a gamer. He's always hustling. He's always trying. 
I, I would attribute it more to just a still a, a, a guy trying to get his bearings in the NBA more than anything else in terms of scaling up to that next level. He's got a big workload. Yeah. He's a young kid with a big workload as soon as he got in the NBA. Sounds familiar. And it's worth pointing out, like, that team is in such bad shape. Like, it is not doing him any favors right now. Like, I, I, agree, I, I agree completely that we have a problem with when people are good, we expect them to then be perfect. And if they're not, we tear them down. I do think that, like, like I don't know, we saw – I don't know if you guys saw the, the thing on Twitter going around the other day that was sort of calling him a superstar on the level of, like, he, like he's not – They people call him Wade. Compare him to, but yeah, he is not D Wade, and okay. he's not by a long look, shot. Look, D-Wade. look, look. I I, but, I understand it, okay. But at the same time, again, I think we let like the trendy when he has a bad game or a bad night, like we have to shun him away from what's overall a pretty good year that he had. Like, well, so here's the thing for me, like tw- you 24, the game, four, 24, four and four, 40, 45 and thirty, almost thirty-seven percent, eighty-five from the uh, from sorry, thirty-seven percent from deep, eighty-six uh, percent from the line. Like, are are we really are we really gonna split hairs and be this annoyed about that 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 career? So, that we're, like, we got to call this guy out this early in his career for that. For me, so you called him you called him the Dame to a CJ. I kind of see it as I think that if you want to be like a like an actual contender, like I I see, I think he's more CJ than Dame, which is not an insult because I think CJ is probably like one of the most underrated players in the league and could definitely be like a number one on a pretty good team. Um, but I do think that with Mitchell, you you are going to need someone there who can be, if not the primary scoring option, then at least like a really solid secondary scoring option. Like I think just having him and Gobert doesn't do him any favors because Gobert is not a scoring option. And I don't really have that second guy. Like Conley was supposed to be that guy. Bogdanovich was supposed to be that guy. They didn't really get the balance right. I do think you're going to need to put a really good – if he's going to be your number one, then the number two has to be really, really good, I so, think. The reason I but said that's Dame not to say he can't be that. The reason I said Damon CJ is because not that I think that they're all that close, like on, on the grand scheme. It's just when you look at what they do for the team, it's like, oh, yeah, Dame's definitely number one. But, like, we know C, like they're nothing without CJ, too. Like, they're putting in tons of work. And it, it's like – it gets to that point where it's like, yeah, like CJ goes off plenty throughout the season to help carry them to wins. You know what I mean? It's like, it gets to the point where it's like, you can sort of, so you sort of get in that, like that foot flop territory. Whereas I feel like you can't have that with Rudy Gobert. You can't have that Rudy Gobert takes over one night. It's going to be Donovan Mitchell takes over every night. And I will say this, this is my last Donovan Mitchell point. Cause I want to hear what Mike has to say. Again, this is a guy who we're determining isn't going to be a number one or it's already over for him. He's improved his shooting every single season so far, every single season. He went from, you know, 43% to 45 this season. His three percentage, uh, three point percentage went from 34 to 36, uh, almost to 37 now. I mean, the rebounding has gone up. The assists have gone up. What, what are we, what are we doing here with, with the Donovan Mitchell discussion? Because the way that everybody makes it sound is that all, everything is down across the board or, I, I mean, are, are we, do we need him to be 50, 40, 90 this season in his third season? It, it just I think seems like want more like a, a little bit more of a jump because his playmaking did seem like it sort of stagnated this year. And I'm honestly, I'm not a fan of his defense. I think that he's much better reputation as a defender than he is as an actual defender. So I think that those are the two spots where people sort of, you know, 
kill him a little bit. And I think that it's way overblown. Like, I think that he easily has room to improve those spots. But I mean, if you're looking for like, where are we looking to see, like, how can he get from where he is to being like a bona fide? Like, I mean, he is a number one on a playoff team. And that, that is, that's what, that's kind of what I'm taking that away from him. Like, like he's sort of already doing it on the highest, but if we're talking about, is he going to be like on the higher tier of number ones? not the highest, obviously, but like a higher one. I think that's where it has to be. It has to be as a playmaker and as a defender, he's got to take like some pretty substantial leaps on both sides, but I think he can, he's got but, the tools but, to be a great defender but, and he's a good passer already. But here's my thing. I don't even know if they're that substantial is my thing. He's like, I, I don't know why we're pretending that he's like farther off than he is, I, I guess is my thing. Like, sure. Maybe I'll agree with you on the defense a little bit. I do think it's maybe a little bit overblown. I think at first he came out and he was, way better than people thought in defense, which again, sounds familiar if you're paying attention, but again, what do I know? So, um, but I, I do think like, yeah, he, he's still a, a good defender. He's still like your top offensive option on, on a good playoff team out West, not, not even out East, out West. And people are already talking about like, maybe again, maybe rightfully, but like Jason Tatum's already like, like the, the, the new sexy young wing who's about to ascend into MVP. MVP status next season and it's like again not that there's anything wrong with that like Jason Tatum certainly deserves it but it's like then the discussion around Donovan Mitchell who seemingly like elevated his game to some degree over the first three seasons of his career he's an all-star again the the offensive dynamo that makes the Jazz go and we're talking about him like is this it for him it's just a, it's a strange discussion. I just don't I don't like having it for Donovan Mitchell. I think that well, it's interesting that we get it for his rookie of the year, the guy who beat him out for that, Ben Simmons. You know, it's sort of like he's probably not going to be the number one scoring option on a team, but like I, I think it's a lot of the same things where we're going to discount everything that he does well, which is a ton of stuff, and everything he does that really genuinely impacts winning, because there's like a couple flaws that we can nitpick, and for Simmons, they're obviously they're more visible flaws than for Mitchell but like I think it's like a very similar thing where like this person came in was really really good right away and then because they haven't become LeBron James or Luka Doncic then well okay then we're you know now we're gonna start calling him you know Ozzy Rajon Rondo or you know Tony Roten or whatever it's I don't know it's disappointing to me a little bit I just think like again like we're, we're we're slamming him for we're discounting all these things that he does well to basically. I, I just don't really know what the point of it is anymore. Yeah. Like, like, like guys come in, exceed expectations immediately only to then get slammed for then having exceeded the expectations. Like, I, I don't know that many guys again, other than like a LeBron or, you know, a Luka who comes in and is just like, all right, well, I'm just immediately a superstar. And even then everybody talks about Luka. He's top five this year, right? Top, top off if it's in the league. Mm-hmm. There are worse seed than the jazz, which is led by Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, and so yeah, well, so I mean, uh, I, th- I think it's a thing. It's like a problem. One of the, the huge things, and it's it's more than just in the way we talk about sports. But like, we love to build people up when they're like sl- the slightly underdogs or when they exceed expectations. But then, as soon as they're the established talent, well, then we start tearing them down. And like, then anything silly. that's not perfection has to be, you know, a huge gaping flaw. And I think we see that a lot. Like, it, I mean, we saw that like the Warriors when they got really good, everyone called them. America's team and then during the 73 win season they became the villains right and we started tearing them down and Steph Curry started getting torn down and like this this is what we do we build them up and then once they're built up high enough once we put them on that pedestal well then we rip it out from under them and we start hating them because they're too good 
Very sad. One all st- one all star appearance, twenty point score every year in the league. So what are we really complaining about? I don't know, man. All, all hope is lost for him, I guess. As, as we sit here in our in our poverty franchise, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. It's the same it, thing with the Zach Levine. It's like, yeah, I do. I'm in the school of thought that if you're going to be really, really good, like championship level good, you're going to need a very dominant so, wing player, which the thing, Mitchell isn't. The thing, though, right, is like it makes sense in certain contexts. Like I think, for example, right, it was unfair a little bit to Devin Booker the first couple of years, right. But Devin Booker, at least you, you could try to, like, make that argument. Like, okay, he can score, but the Suns haven't been successful. The roster has stunk, but they haven't been that successful. Like, how, like he really needs to start proving it. Okay, so then they go and get him some bets, and now they're starting to get in contention. But, like, to me, that's a guy who, like, you can at least, even if it's a little unfair, you can't really scoff at it when people raise those criticisms because you're like, okay, well, okay. It's fair. It's fair. We haven't had enough team success. We haven't seen enough out of him maybe. Uh, he's got a little bit more growth to go. But then it's like, then Donovan Mitchell, it's like, all right, well, they're in the playoffs all the time. He's starting almost every game. He's, like Mike said, 20-point-per-game score right off the bat. Good defense right off the bat. You know, at least league average from deep, almost right off the bat. It's like, I I don't know what, like, I, I don't know why, like, everybody needs to have, a, like, a teardown phase. I don't know why everybody can't just sort of slowly ascend on their own. Uh, it's a very strange dynamic that we have with a lot of these players. I, it's just very, it, it's not fun, man. Just enjoy Donovan Mitchell. That's, that's a good, I, good I feel player. like it's, it's just, just to bring this full circle from RJ to Mitchell, it's like scoring doesn't matter anymore. It's like last time I checked, that's <laughs> the most important thing in basketball. Is it not? <laughs> I, I, I still love, I still love that the, the scoring doesn't matter thing for RJ Barrett while you ignore that he was top five and all the other, categories like that that's my favorite i want to leave the people with that uh yeah. with that part on zach low the the argument for rj barrett ends at his points per game despite that he was in top five and virtually everything else in in assists and rebounding uh steals scoring it, it begins and ends with his points per game zach low espn yeah so on that note that is our uh you know pro rj on the all NBA rookie second team argument, not even first team, second team argument. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. You should oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we leave, oh, what? Chris asked Porzingis played well, guys. Just accept it. He did. I just, he did. I just want to leave it on that. Nothing yeah. more. So, so I will say, and uh, Eli, I want to hear your thoughts quickly on this, but this is uh, between me and the listeners, real quick. Uh, about a year, little year and a half ago, we had an emergency podcast about the Chris Asp Porzingis trade. Uh, I was very angry about it, and my uh, my mentions were flooded with why the Knicks made the right move uh, and why I needed to move on and get over it because he's always going to be injured. Okay, and again, anything can happen. I will give Which you that. Which is a laughable any, argument. Any, anything, anything can happen, right? But, like, for the love of God, guys, just admit that the trade was bad. Just admit it. Just admit, I'm not saying that – I'm saying that nothing can be salvaged from the trade, that not a single pick was going to work out in any capacity, although I personally believe it won't. From the Mavs, the Mavs picks, the Mavs picks, okay? But just please just admit it. Like the, Those whack-ass Dennis, Dennis Smith Jr., I, I love Dennis Smith Jr. I believe in him as a prospect. It just has not worked out yet. He has not been good enough, right? The, the picks are lottery protected, and they just had the Mavs, surrounded by Luka and KP, just had the best offense in the league. They're in the playoffs out west right now. I don't see any reason, based off who Luka is, to believe that that isn't going to continue, right? They should probably be a pretty comfy playoff team for quite some time. But again, 
Anything can happen. Of course. Of course. But just guys, like, just for the love of God, admit it. Just admit that it was a bad trade. It was short-sighted. They didn't get the stars they wanted. It imploded. Everybody wants us to move on. But you guys yelled at me a year ago, and I want apologies. Just say sorry. Just say you were wrong. Just say the trade stinks. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not happy about it either. Yeah, this, I'm this with you, man. I, you know, I've actually been on the record. I've been on the record as saying that this could be like the most disastrous trade that the Knicks have ever made, which it considering how many disastrous trades, like, and it's not just about what they got back. Yes, you could magically hit on a LeBron James at 26 with the Dallas pick and sure, everything yeah. looks good. Those odds are so low, but it's not just about what they got back. It's about the process and the process of that trade was horrendous. What they got back, when they did it, how cocky they were about getting two players who were like the two like most flighty and indecisive players in the league. Everything about that trade was disastrous. And I get that Knicks fans are like really salty about it. And they, they just want to pretend that he's going to suck forever. And that, you know, Oh, well, he's got bad efficiency. So that means that his 39, 15 and three threes, which, you know, hasn't been done for except for like I think Giannis and Harden are the only two people to do it in the last five years like it is an absolutely devastating move that set the franchise back so much and the only reason that they had to do it was to get rid of the terrible contracts that they signed so it's disastrous moving moves compounding on disastrous moves so so people are like oh well they had to get rid of Tim Hardaway Jr. they signed Tim Hardaway Jr. you don't get credit for doing a bad move to clean up your yes. earlier bad move. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. And then you say, okay, well, he didn't want to be here. The team alienated him. That is not an argument in favor of the front office. Like it, you have to make it work with your star player. That's why you draft star players. is So you can figure out how to make it work to create a winning team around them. And lastly, he had, not he, the Knicks had all the leverage for the love of God. I don't know how many times I need to make this point. He doesn't, he, just because he demands a trade doesn't mean anything. You make him sign that qualifying offer. He's 7'3". Uh, he's 7'3", coming off an ACL injury. No and player, the closest thing no, you had no to a franchise player. player. No healthy player has ever turned that max down, Mike. And this is and your you can just promise thing. him a sign and trade if you, you have to. Just you, promise him a sign and trade. But even still, oh, okay, 7'3", sir, coming off the ACL tear. You really don't want to be here that bad? You can pull from half court. You're, you're going you're gonna to turn down 150, or even if we don't offer you the max, you're going to turn down 140, 130 million, whatever that max-ish thing would have looked like. Okay, then turn that down. Take the qualifying offer coming off an ACL tear. See how that goes for you. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like, that's, that's how that conversation goes. We're not scared of you. Like, let, we want you to be here. We want to sign you. We're going to prove it to you. But, like, for basically them to be like, hey, we don't want to sign you because we have some injury concerns. And then he's like, well, I don't want to be here. And then it's like, all right, well, we're just going to trade you to the Mavs who picked up the phone first. It was like – which could have been done on draft night, but that's well, and the the fact the fact that teams said that they did not get a chance to make an offer to me just completely just solidifies how terrible the process was. Because if you're not going to every single team in the league and being like, "We have Porzingis on the block, what are you going to give us?" Like, if you're not doing that for your star draft player who is 21 years old and just made an All Star team, what would have happened? But there there is, it does matter that you carry a workload like that. It does matter that you do more or you're asked to do more. It does because we see it even with role players. It, sometimes role players are asked to do a whole hell of a lot and they look terrible. And sometimes role players are asked to do a little bit and they look great. Like we don't know with rookies quite yet. So they're sort of thrown into the fire. And yes, if you can manage a little bit more and, you know, RJ ends up top five in almost everything that he's been doing out there. Yeah, I'm going to, it looks like he's, you know, been busy because he has been busy on both sides of the ball.
Like sometimes it isn't just fool's gold with the counting stats. Like, you know, sometimes you can actually go back to look at the advanced stats and be like, oh, maybe, maybe we missed something then. If he, if he shows up in all these different areas, if he's checking all these different boxes, then maybe, maybe we missed something then. It, se- it seems like he was doing a whole lot there. That, that should be your first thought. Oh, RJ Barrett's on all these top five lists? Really? That's strange for somebody who supposedly stunk so bad. How is he? Well, he, surely he must have been playing 35 minutes. Oh, he wasn't playing 35 minutes a night. So how is he accumulating all these stats? Well, what, is the, what, is, what is the purpose of him accumulating these stats then? For nothing? He's just out there top five and everything for nothing? It, it, it counts for nothing? It's just... I mean, technically he's doing it for the Knicks, so kind of. But yeah, I, I, I hear yes. what you're saying. And it's interesting coming you know, off of like our last high-profile rookie being Porzingis, who was, you know, obviously he was all rookie um, and was much better right away than RJ was. But, you know, he was another guy who advanced stats always undersold. It always had him way, if you just looked at advanced stats, you would not think that he was an impactful player because he didn't rebound much in his first two years. Right. And like, and that alone just like tanked him in a lot of advanced stats and, you know, and now he's, put on weight and he's starting to rebound and it's just like yeah these guys are young and they make mistakes and a lot of the time they don't know what the hell they're doing which I think can also sometimes you know give more weight to older players who come in like if you look at the list Clark, Pascal, Pascal, uh, Terrence Davis, Kendrick, they're all older guys they're all older guys PJ Washington Uh, like these guys all came in a few years older and like ready to contribute and on good situations. And so obviously that is going to, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. Obviously that is going to help you out versus being a 19 year old put in the worst possible situation. And it's, so it's just weird to me when people acknowledge that, like, especially like Zach Lowe acknowledges that multiple times and he's done it throughout the season. He said, yeah, RJ is in the worst possible situation for him. But then he's, sort of he's hedging because like, he knows but, he's wrong. He's hedging because he knows he's well, wrong. Well, yeah. But like, I, like, he, don't he worry, guys. That, but then don't he, worry, guys. I'm a, I'm aware. I'm aware it was bad. I'm aware. I'm aware it was really bad. But yeah, but but we're gonna but, discount that and just like move on. And I mean that that carries a lot of weight. If you're in the worst situation in basketball and you're still being insanely productive, that kind of shows. Like, imagine what he would be like in a good situation. It, it, it angers me, and it, and it ang- and it doesn't. Again, it doesn't even anger me as a bas- uh, as a as a Knicks fan. It doesn't even anger me as a biased Knicks fan. It just really angers me as uh, just from a basic basketball perspective. It, it could have been any rookie that was left off that list. From and I'm being totally serious. And if you guys see the things that I get angry about online, especially, then you would know that I'm being very serious. Here. It could have been almost anybody. And if they are showing up in top five everything and you know the people that cover that team are always telling me yeah actually I don't know what this nonsense is about his defense he's actually pretty good and no matter who you speak to that's consistent and it's like yeah man I'd be kind of annoyed too if all these people are saying like oh you know he's top five in all these categories he, he played good defense he, so, so what, is, what is it that we're missing that just seems to be like the same question we're asking what is it that we're missing like I, I could have been well, about it I could have been annoyed for anybody rules everything it's that that's what it is. I feel like that we are in the age of efficiency being the end all and be all like that is just what people are judged by right off the bat. And, you know, then maybe we can take into account all the other things, but first and foremost, it's efficiency. And I think you lose a lot of it's working like the, the texture. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, like what we were talking about before about like a volume score, 
people just act like that's a dirty word where, you know, oh, a volume scorer. I mean, we're playing basketball. I mean, we're not playing basketball. They're playing basketball. The point is to score the basketball. What? Like, volume scoring has a great place, and most teams need a volume scorer to become good. Stop this. Wait, Eli, I know, it's crazy. It's a crazy I, idea, Eli, right? Eli, Eli, hold on. So you're telling me I can't put four Frank Nielakinas out there, one Mitchell Robinson, and expect to win games? That's oh, well, wild. I mean, you might win it at like 30 to 25, but <laughs> yeah, you, it turns out you actually need people to put the ball in the bucket. What a concept, man. What a, it's crazy. Really, really I, I'm, I'm floored by this, but I, yeah, I, I wish, and again, I try not to sound like, like a points per game truther or that efficiency doesn't matter because you guys know that I, I am, I'm big on that, you know, like. Frank Milikina needs to not shoot like shit. Kevin Knox needs to not shoot like shit. R.J. Barrett needs to mostly keep not shooting like shit if what I think is going to be true for him. It's like it's, – it's not, it's not hard, but it's also not the end-all, be-all. Like if, you, if you're a Frank Milikina, right, and you defend, but you can't score, you don't pass enough, and I don't want to hear about the, the, the Frank passing through. He can't right? really dribble. Okay, he can't really dribble. If he sees a trap, he's done, Okay. That's the guy where you look and go, oh, well, he's averaging like seven, two, and one, and his shooting numbers stink. And, oh, okay, maybe, maybe we do kind of get the full story. Maybe he's just a good defender, and then that's it. And then, and then you can understand why the efficiency numbers aren't good. And then you look at a guy like RJ where the efficiency still isn't where you want it to be, but then it's an entirely different situation. It's like the context is always going to matter for who you're discussing. If you're just looking at who shot better percentage-wise and you're not looking at the types of shots that they had to take or were forced into or the offensive scheme, it, to me, it just, it, it's, it's really a disservice to those who are actually watching the game. And it's not just a Knicks fan thing. It's for anybody – because there's RJ fans who are in the NBA who feel this way who aren't Knicks fans. There's people who – and not many, but there are people like that. So <laughs> if you're if you're watching if you're watching RJ Barrett play basketball consistently, you know what he brings to the table. That's all that I'm saying. It, it, you you saw the full slate to some degree. I, I just think that, you know, like Eli put it, what are we missing, and what is he getting penalized for that the others aren't? I think is the best way to put it. And if it really is efficiency, uh, I, I continue to ask my media, you know, friends and colleagues, and everybody's got to do better. If, if we're only still in 2020 and we're doing all this uh, efficiency end all be all do better or at least be consistent and look at that list before you make that argument, because it's not, it's not right. But alas, well, here's the one thing, here's the one thing I wonder is, what? you know, for a guy who has been, you know, an elite prospect for his entire life, you know, he was the number one pick projected coming into the college season before Zion obviously overtook him. I, I do kind of wonder if, not making the all rookie team could actually be, you know, something that's good for him. Like he already is a grinder and we know that about him. Like that's one thing that I really like about him is like, it seems like his work ethic is really genuine and really like he's really driven, but having that extra little chip on his shoulder, that like little desire to prove people wrong is not necessarily the worst thing. So I will be interested to see if he doesn't get an all rookie spot, how that kind of like, I'm sure he'll come out and say something and I'm sure it's going to be diplomatic because he's super polished and, you know, talks like a politician out there. But I, I do think that there is a sense that it could maybe not be the worst thing in the world for him to miss out on that and to come into next season really with a whole, like, you know, me against the, the, the world kind of mentality. I don't know. I'll be interested to see how he responds. Yeah. The, the last thing that I want to say here too is that, the thing that bothers me about like the zo the low picks are like the thing I'm going to just read what he said about uh, Kobe white 
and then you tell me if that sounds like somebody that he's endorsing for a pick or somebody he's desperately trying to make fit into that pick. This is, a, this is it, okay? I didn't particularly enjoy watching White's hoggish chucking, but he averaged 20 points at 4.5 dimes over his last 15 games, I guess because we're only going to consider 15 games out of his 60-ish game season, while shooting 37% for deep, uh, from deep on eight attempts. The pull-up three is a career-making shot, and White looks like he might have a decent one based off 15 games that we're going off of here. He's not a bad uh, playmaker when he remembers passing is legal. So he's a hoggish hoggish chucker. We're going off 15 games. And he's not a bad player, a playmaker when he remembers passing is legal after having called him a hoggish chucker. That guy. And that's not even getting into the fact that his defense is atrocious. Like doesn't even try. Atrocious on a miserable team. And off of 15 games, he got a, he got a Zach Lowe pick. Like, that, that's the I'm, stuff that bo- that's the stuff that bothers me though because okay that, that, so why can't you use the headband row stretch if you want to go like that's it, it, what I'm no, saying Mike it doesn't work that way it doesn't work that way it doesn't, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know I don't know why but it doesn't work that way I'm starting to think like just off that paragraph alone I'm starting to think it's just future projection and he's just not high on he's just bearish on RJ for the future which is he's entitled to his opinion he's a smart guy but rookie season is this year you're telling me Kobe White so if we're doing a redraft. That's the way I think about it. If we're doing a redraft, all these guys are going before RJ? Get the hell out of here. This is the thing that gets me, though, on his uh, RJ point. Because I don't want this to just be stuff that we say that Lowe said and not his actual words. I want to sprinkle in a couple little things that he actually said. So for RJ, he said, but but his case ends at points per game. So he could have said nothing after that sentence, and it already would have been laughably wrong. But, again, I digress, and I'll continue here. He ranks among the half-dozen worst rookies in most advanced stats. He shot 43% on twos and 61% from the line. Again, now we're not even bringing up the three-point shooting, which he actually got back towards respectability towards the end here. And he just seems to, for whatever reason, keep comparing him against uh, Rui Hachimura for his <laughs> scoring and his also his percentages from two-point range, which is weird because Hachimura is always at the rim a little bit more based on his position. But again, I digress. So I, I don't really know what Zach Lowe's point was. I, that, that's my big problem here. If it was a little bit more concise and it made sense, but if you're saying his point, if the case ends at points per game and you're comparing him against Rui and then Kobe White makes a base off a 15-game stretch, it, this feels very lazy to me. This yeah. feels very lazy to me. I, I don't – because it doesn't make sense. That, I, you guys, I, I get angry by, uh, you know, when there's no logic. There's no logic here. There's no true logic other than – I didn't watch enough R.J. Barrett. I didn't care to watch enough R.J. Barrett. And based off of me checking basketball reference this morning as I went to make my picks and lock them in, I'm going to pop in Kobe White. That's yeah. the vibe that I get from this. And I hate I mean, that I, I get, even have to say it about him. And I get the Knicks are watching the Knicks are a chore, especially if they're not your favorite team, which is fine. But don't – like that whole Kobe paragraph is just gross. It's gross. Because it's acknowledging it's, it's like, okay, I'm kind of shooting the shit at this point. But then, but- so for me, just like the one thing, like okay, I agree with everything you're saying, except for like, I'm a hundred percent sure Zach Lowe has watched a bunch of Knicks games this year because he's like a sadist in that way and watches more tape than probably anyone. To me, what it strikes me as is like these guys were all cl- these guys are all clustered together, and he just found like sort of the easiest possible rationale. Like I'm just gonna, I have all these guys. I'm not sure which one I want to choose. All right, let's just go to basketballreference.com. So I don't think it's that he's not watching. I, I, I Rui is a power sure. forward. 
that he's comparing to R.J. Barrett on multiple occasions for scoring and shooting percentages. It, it's an illogical argument on, on numerous fronts. Like, so even if he is watching, then it's even worse because if you watched all of R.J. and this is the argument that you have for him at the end of it, what, what then you shouldn't have even, you should have just left him, you shouldn't have even touched on it then. You shouldn't have even explained because this doesn't make sense. Why are you comparing a power forward to him multiple times? Can yeah, anybody uh, answer that question? Why, uh, why, would, why would comparing a rookie power forward multiple times, other than he's a rookie and on the second team? Honestly, why, 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 would, why would that be your – so would, wouldn't Kobe White have been a little bit more reasonable then? If you're going off the season Would have made a lot more sense. Would have yeah. made a lot more sense. And even then, Kobe stinks. So it should have been a no-brainer. <laughs> I just – I don't – it bothers me. It bothers me because I expect more from Zach Lowe, a guy that I've always trusted his opinion. And I well, still do. I still do. Fair. I just I just don't like this. This is very this is bad. This is bad. Right, but to be fair, he also mentioned Mitchell Robinson for sixth man of the year, which I forgot until just now. My cooler head finally prevailed. So no. he is watching the games. It's just I don't know. That, that, then to me, again, then to me that that's just confirmation bias. That I just thought RJ Barrett was gonna be bad. Uh his case ends at points per game. He was bad, like I said he'd be. And I'm sorry, Knicks fans, that's all I've got. It's just not. But what bothers yeah, me is his case he, ending he, at points per game is is they, like, that's so, ridiculous. My issue is like if this was a if this was any blogger if this was anybody online I wouldn't I wouldn't have cared. When you're Zach Lowe and you're like the gatekeeper of like the, the the smart NBA take, you can't be the guy saying his case ends at points per game if you watch his entire season and you watch him do all those things. That, yeah, that's what I don't like. Completely involved in because now because now because now you're outright lying. Like to me, that's the issue. You're out you're outright lying about things that have happened to people. So now everybody's gonna look at this and go. RJ shot like shit. His case ends up points per game, which means he's an empty stats chucker who doesn't pass or do anything else. And that's going to be the runaway from it. Like, tell the story the right way or don't tell it at all. If you're going to use the advanced stats, then you should be able to tell all the right context for it, too. All that I ask. Yeah, but, no, I couldn't agree more. Uh, on that note, I'd like to just quickly pivot to some happier times. Uh, I'm sorry about that running a little bit longer. Uh, didn't expect that. I, that was, that was going to be a 20-minute segment to the listeners. <laughs> um, but... You can't mess up on a, a, a you can't mess up that dramatically, in my opinion. But on a happier note, we're going to talk bubble real quick. Uh, just general stuff. I've enjoyed it. I, I want to just I don't even have a topic for this because the games have all been mostly very good. I just want to know your guys' thoughts after a fun opening couple of games, especially the opening night, and I know. Uh, Grizzlies, Blazers was a, uh, an absolute ton of fun too. So, a lot, a lot of good basketball happening in the bubble. Yeah. So, three things. One, anyone who said Mello was done, you can eat a you know what. Apologize right now, <laughs> out loud in your vehicles, in your rooms, wherever you listen to this pod. Just, and there's just a lot say of people sorry. trying we'll to sneak you. in. I'm seeing a lot of people trying to sneak it in. Like Mello, Mello's good, man. It's just like, yeah, I remember you calling him trash like five months ago, buddy. Watch it, like. Anyway, two, Devin Booker is the Devin Booker super trade that I tried to push on you guys two, three weeks ago. Yep. That was probably one of my stupider takes because the Suns are actually very enjoyable and look like a real basketball team that's he's fun to watch. really fun. Yeah, he's really not going fun. anywhere. And then three, I have a tie for third. Alvin Gentry, what are you doing with Zion Williamson? Even if you have a minutes limit, we talked about it before the pod. Even if you have 15 minutes, my man, you have three minutes left, right? Save that to the end. What are you doing? And then kind of yeah, a that's bonus. that's the thing I don't understand. More than right. just, like, just play him. I just Why not just save it for when you really need it? Yeah. 
do you have do you understand the advantage Zion a fresh Zion Williamson would have on a bunch of tired legs? Like you can't be that dumb. You really just can't be that so dumb. I don't it in his in his defense and Alvin There's Gentry, no defense. In Alvin Gentry and only Alvin Gentry's defense. When they've asked him about this at the press conferences, he seems fed the fuck up. He like he seems very no, annoyed but, about not being able to play Zion. So I think this is There's a, no way. So you think I, you're saying they're saying don't play in the last yeah, 2 minutes? Yeah, I 100%. I it, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Whoever says that deserves to be fired. Okay. This is this is this is my thing. They just had uh they had Griffin on TV doing the spiel to explain the Zion situation because people are outraged. And what was he's, his he's, he's he's on there basically saying, you know, and, and citing and again not passing off, he's citing that the medical team uh the, the staff, they've all came to this decision, and it's not just for Zion. It's for any player who goes through a situation like this, is what Griffin said, um, is that they'd have to take a precautious, uh, you know, way about ramping things back up, and everybody would be watched in such a way. And I, I to a degree, sure, right? I'm sure that happens for everybody. For Zion, of course, I know he's BSing a little bit here because for Zion, of course, it's going to happen more. He's your, he's your crown jewel. Of course, you're going to protect him more. So – to me, it made them just sound like, you know, well, our medical team, you know, they, they put together this really detailed, this good plan, and it's got to go exactly how they said. And, you know, basically, they're all just saying, like, that's the science. Like, you guys can argue with science. And to that, I say, you can. He's 19 years old. He's built like a Mack truck. The entire NBA conspired to get you guys the schedule that you needed to have a fighting chance to get to the playoffs. The whole reason the Blazers – Chase LeBron, the, James. The, the, the whole reason the Blazers, the Kings – the Suns are even in the bubble right now. So Zion has a chance to get a playoff spot. And you're going to stare me in the face and tell me that when you're playing for meaningful games, the 19-year-old, the refrigerator on wheels, Zion Williamson, he can't play two minutes to close the game out. And, and even if it was two additional minutes, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. But to Eli's point too then, well then, you, or you know, Mike and Eli, you got to play him towards the end of the game. You got to make sure that he's available no matter what for that break in case you need them for those extra couple minutes to close the game. It, on a number of fronts, today doesn't matter. They're getting just embarrassed. Mollywop. Embarrassed, mollywop by the Clippers. Today doesn't matter. But it was that previous game that was so disheartening. Uh, such a fun game. It was, you know, Jazz, Pelicans. It was a lot of fun. Back and forth. Big runs both ways. Ingram was having a great first half. And the Jazz are coming back. And Mitchell comes down late because he's a gamer. And it, it was great. It was great. And then – you know what would have made it better was Zion Williamson playing a close meaningful game. game to close the game out. Even if they lose, give Zion a chance. How do you let Rudy Gobert close a game out on you? Like, come on. <laughs> My question is, how does Zion go through an entire, even a 15-minute game without getting a single rebound? That's, that's honestly the part that I don't understand. Like, how yeah, does that happen? I'm just so caught up on the minutes, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I – I don't know. It's, it's gross, and it's just shove your detailed plan where the sun don't shine, man. Just, because just play the guy. <laughs> I, w- I will say though, I will say though, uh, on the bubble note, I didn't want to touch on this because we're going to talk about Melo, we're going to talk about Ja, we're going to talk about all the guys that we normally talk about because we love them and they're a lot of fun. I want to give DeAndre Ayton some shine on this podcast. I'm going to be the oh, guy. I'm going to play okay. my flag. DeAndre Ayton needs some love. All right, oh, he's good. He, he, oh, oh, he's more than good. He's damn good. He's shooting threes. He's a menace at the rim. We have to start talking about DeAndre Ayton, all right? Nobody's doing it. I know it's not sexy. We're not supposed to give the big men love in 2020. I understand that. He was in the same draft as Luka. We can only focus on Luka. I'm aware. But he has been 
great. And I understand that he just – I mean, they, they watched the Wizards, uh, which is not anything special with the current situation of the, the Wizards lineup, and especially with that Bradley Beal. But he looked really good, man. And he's been doing this a lot of the year. I know Eli's with me here, but he's looked good. He's looked good, and people got to start giving him his respect. I love seeing him eat the other night. He was just knocking down those shots from deep. He was putting on an absolute clinic all game. I want to see more of it. That kid is good. I'm excited to see what he does. Sons are fun, man. Yeah, that, but he, he, Booker, and Bridges are going to get them to the playoffs for, for the next few years. I, I like Cam Maybe Johnson, not next too. year, but I, I'm – yeah, Cam Johnson has been better. Like, everyone gave the Suns shit for Cam Johnson, but he's been, he's been a good role player for them. Yeah, no, 100%. And now I want to bounce a question off you guys because going back to that Booker pod, which is probably one of my worst takes in recent memory, Mitchell was brought up as a star. I'm seeing a lot of Mitchell slander on the timeline today, calling him – I've seen him called Tony Roten. I've <laughs> seen him called a couple other things. Do you think he's a number one option? Because it looks like he's on the bad side of Twitter, which isn't always a bad thing technically. He he could be. Um, and this I is, think this he's is, the number – Go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, look, I, I think often with young players, like we sort of do with the Ben Simmons and Bede stuff, um, when they exceed our initial expectations in, in, in such a dramatic fashion, like those guys where they're all stars in their first couple years, um, we then basically say, like, you got to get better again quickly or else, like, that's it. And it was like flash in the pan kind of stuff, you know? Like, now we got to break the Sixers up two years and two deep playoff runs in because – Oh no, Joel Embiid and and uh, Ben Simmons, who are so young and so early in their careers, can never work together. It's just I don't know why we're always in a rush to like box guys in. I think he's he's done more than enough early in his career to show that there's a legitimate chance he could be a, a top guy on your team. I don't know about like bona fide like a like a Luca Harden kind of guy, like like a top top of the league top of your team. But I don't see why he couldn't just be the best player on like a like a Dame to a CJ. Like, I don't see why there's any reason why if you don't get him a another dynamic offensive player that isn't a Rudy Gobert getting maxed out, why that Jazz team wouldn't be a little bit better. I don't know. I just – I think there's a chance. I, I'm not going to say I'm, like, 100% confident, but I think rolling it out because he's a little bit inefficient or a little bit streaky early in his career is a little bit tough. We, we see that he's a pretty good defender. We see that he's a gamer. He's always hustling. He's always trying. I, I would attribute it more to just a, still a, a, a guy trying to get his – bearings in the NBA more than anything else in terms of scaling up to that next level. He's got a big workload. Yeah. He's a young kid with a big workload as soon as he got in the NBA. Sounds familiar. And it's worth pointing out like that team is in such bad shape. Like it is not doing him any favors right now. Like I, I agree. I, I agree completely that we have a problem with when people are good, we expect them to then be perfect. And if they're not, we tear them down. I do think that like, like, I don't know, we saw, I, I don't know if you guys saw the, the thing on Twitter going around the other day that was sort of calling him a superstar on the level of, like, he, like he's not, people, they call people him Wade. compare him to, but yeah, he is not D-Wade, and okay. he's not by a long look, shot look, D-Wade. Look, look, I, I, but, under, I understand it, okay, but at the same time, again, I think we let, like, the trendy, when he has a bad game or a bad night, like, we have to shun him away from what's overall a pretty good year that he had. Like, well, so here's the thing for me. Like, you 24, the game. Four, 24, 4, and 4. 40, 45 and 30, almost 37%. 85 from the uh, – from sorry, 37% from deep. Uh, 86% from the line. Like, are, are we really, really going to split hairs and be this annoyed about that? That, that career? So, that we're, like, we got to call this guy out this early in his career for that? For me, so you called him, you called him the dame to a CJ. 
I kind of see it as I think that if you want to be like a like an actual contender, like I I see, I think he's more CJ than Dame, which is not an insult because I think CJ is probably like one of the most underrated players in the league and could definitely be like a number one on a pretty good team. Um, but I do think that with Mitchell, you you are going to need someone there who can be, if not the primary scoring option, then at least like a really solid secondary scoring option. Like I think just having him and Gobert doesn't do him any favors because Gobert is not a scoring option. And they don't really have that second guy. Like Conley was supposed to be that guy. Bogdanovich was supposed to be that guy. They didn't really get the balance right. I do think you're going to need to put a really good – if he's going to be your number one, then the number two has to be really, really good, I so, think. The reason I but said that's Dame not to say he can't be that. The reason I said Damon CJ is because not that I think that they're all that close, like on, on the grand scheme. It's just when you look at what they do for the team, it's like, oh, yeah, Dame's definitely number one. But, like, we know C, like they're nothing without CJ, too. Like, they're putting in tons of work. And it, it's like it gets to that point where it's like, yeah, like CJ goes off plenty throughout the season to help carry them to wins. You know what I mean? It's like, it gets to the point where it's like, you can sort of, so you sort of get in that, like that foot flop territory. Whereas I feel like you can't have that with Rudy Gobert. You can't have that Rudy Gobert takes over one night. It's going to be Donovan Mitchell takes over every night. And I will say this, this is my last Donovan Mitchell point. So I want to hear what Mike has to say. Again, this is a guy who we're determining isn't going to be a number one or it's already over for him. He's improved his shooting every single season so far. Every single season. He went from, you know, 43% to 45 this season. His three-point uh, three percentage went from 34 to 36, uh, almost to 37 now. I mean, the rebounding has gone up. The assists have gone up. What, what, are, we, what are we doing here with, with the Donovan Mitchell discussion? Because the way that everybody makes it sound is that all, everything is down across the board. Or, I, I mean, are, are we, do we need him to be 50, 40, 90 this season in his third season? It, it just I think seems like want more like a, a little bit more of a jump because his playmaking did seem like it sort of stagnated this year. And I'm honestly, I'm not a fan of his defense. I think that he's much better reputation as a defender than he is as an actual defender. So I think that those are the two spots where people sort of, you know, kill him a little bit. And I think that it's way overblown. Like I think that he easily has room to improve those spots. But I mean, if you're looking for like, where are we looking to see like, how can he get from where he is? to being like a bona fide, like, I mean, he is the number one on a playoff team. And that, that is, that's what, that's kind of what I'm getting away from him. Like, like he's sort of already doing it on the highest, but if we're talking about, is he going to be like on the higher tier of number ones, not the highest, obviously, but like a higher one, I think that's where it has to be. It has to be as a playmaker and as a defender, he's got to take like some pretty substantial leaps on both sides, but I think he can, he's got the tools to be a great defender and he's a good passer already. But here's my thing. I don't even know if they're that substantial is my thing. He's like, I, I don't know why we're pretending that he's, like, farther off than he is, I, I guess is my thing. Like, sure, maybe I'll agree with you on the defense a little bit. I do think it's maybe a little bit overblown. I think at first he came out and he was way better than people thought in defense, which, again, sounds familiar if you're paying attention. But, again, what do I know? So, um, but I, I do think, like, yeah, he, he's still a, a good defender. He's still, like, your top offensive option on, on a good playoff team out west. Not, not even out east, out west. and. People are already talking about like, maybe again, maybe rightfully, but like Jason Tatum's already like, like the 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 new sexy young wing who's about to ascend into MVP MVP status next season, and it's like, 
again, not that there's anything wrong with that. Like Jason Tatum certainly deserves it, but it's like then the discussion around Donovan Mitchell, who seemingly like elevated his game to some degree over the first three seasons of his career. He's an all-star again, the, the offensive dynamo that makes the jazz go. And we're talking about him. Like, is this it for him? It's just, it's a strange discussion. I just don't, I don't like having it for Donovan Mitchell. I think that. Well, it's interesting that we get it for his rookie of the year. The guy who beat him out for that, Ben Simmons, you know, it's sort of like, he's probably not going to be the number one scoring option on a team, but like, I I think it's a lot of the same things where we're going to discount everything that he does well, which is a ton of stuff and everything he does that really genuinely impacts winning because there's like a couple flaws that we can nitpick. And for Simmons, they're obviously, they're more visible flaws than for Mitchell. But like, I I think it's like a very similar thing where like this person came in was really, really good right away. And then because they haven't become LeBron James or Luka Doncic, then, well, okay, then we're, you know, now we're going to start calling him, you know, Ozzy Rajon Rondo or, you know, Tony Roten or whatever. It's, I don't know, it's disappointing to me a little bit. I just think, like, again, like, we're, we're, we're slamming him for, we're discounting all these things that he does well to basically, I, I just don't really know what the point of it is anymore. Yeah. Like, like, like guys come in, exceed expectations immediately, only to then get slammed for then having exceeded the expectations. Like, I, I don't know that many guys, again, other than like a LeBron or, you know, a Luka who comes in and is just like, all right, well, I'm just immediately a superstar. And even then, everybody talks about Luka. He's top five this year, right? Top, top offense in the league. Mm-hmm. They're a worse seed than the Jazz, which is led by Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. And so, yeah, well, so I mean, uh, I, th- I think it's a thing, it's like a problem, one of the, the huge things, and it's, it's more than just in the way we talk about sports, but like we love to build people up when they're like sl- the slightly underdogs or when they exceed expectations. But then as soon as they're the established talent, well, then we start tearing them down. And like then anything silly. that's not perfection has to be, you know, a huge gaping flaw. And I think we see that a lot. Like, it, I mean, we saw that like the Warriors, when they got really good, everyone called them America's team. And then during the 73 win season, they became the villains, right? And we started tearing them down and Steph Curry started getting torn down. And like, this, this is what we do. We build them up. And then once they're built up high enough, once we put them on that pedestal, well, then we rip it out from under them and we start hating them because they're too good. Very sad, one, all, one all-star appearance, 20 point score every year in the league. What are we really complaining about? I don't know, man. All, all hope is lost for him, I guess. As, as we sit here in our in our poverty franchise, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. It's the same it, thing with the Zach Levine. It's like, yeah, I do. I'm in the school of thought that if you're going to be really, really good, like championship level good, you're going to need a very dominant so, wing player, which the thi- Mitchell isn't. The thing, though, right, is like it makes sense in certain contexts. Like I think, for example, right, it was unfair a little bit to Devin Booker the first couple of years, right? But Devin Booker, at least you, you could try to like make that argument. Like, okay, he can score. But the Suns haven't been successful. The roster has stunk, but they haven't been that successful. Like, how, like he really needs to start proving it. Okay, so then they go and get him some bets, and now they're starting to get in contention. But, like, to me, that's a guy who, like, you can at least, even if it's a little unfair, you can't really scoff at it when people raise those criticisms because you're like, okay, well, okay. It's fair. It's fair. We haven't had enough team success. We haven't seen enough out of him maybe. Uh, he's got a little bit more growth to go. But then it's like, then Donovan Mitchell, it's like, all right, well, they're in the playoffs all the time. He's starting almost every game. He's, like Mike said, 20-point-per-game score right off the bat. Good defense right off the bat. You know, at least league average from deep, almost right off the bat. It's like, I, I don't know what 
like I, I don't know why like everybody needs to have a, like a teardown phase. I don't know why everybody can't just sort of slowly ascend on their own. Uh, it, it's a very strange dynamic that we have with a lot of these players. I it's just very it, it's not fun, man. Just enjoy Donovan Mitchell. That's, that's a good, I, good I feel player. like it's it's just just to bring this full circle from RJ to Mitchell. It's like scoring doesn't matter anymore. It's like last time I checked, that's <laughs> the most important thing in basketball, is it not? I, I still love I still love that the, the scoring doesn't matter thing for R.J. Barrett while you ignore that he was top five in all the other categories like that. That's my favorite. I want to leave the people with that uh, yeah. with that part on Zach Lowe. It, the, the argument for R.J. Barrett ends at his points per game, despite that he was in top five in virtually everything else in, in assists and rebounding, uh, steals, scoring. It, it begins and ends with his points per game. Zach Lowe, ESPN. So on that note, that is our, uh, you know, pro RJ on the all NBA rookie second team argument, not even first team, second team argument. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. You oh, wait, 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 before we leave, oh, what? Chris S. Porzingis played well, guys. Just accept it. He did. I just, he did. I just want to leave it on that. Nothing yeah, more. So, so I will say, and uh, Eli, I want to hear your thoughts quickly on this, but this is uh, between me and the listeners real quick, uh, about a year little year and a half ago, we had an emergency podcast about the Chris Housebores English trade. Uh, I was very angry about it. And my, uh, my mentions were flooded with why the Knicks made the right move uh, and why I needed to move on and get over it because he's always going to be injured. Okay. And again, anything can happen. I will give Which you that. Which is a laughable any, any, argument. Any, anything, anything could happen, right? But like, for the love of God, guys, just admit that the trade was bad. Just admit it. Just admit I'm not saying that... I'm saying that nothing can be salvaged from the trade, that not a single pick was going to work out in any capacity, although I personally believe it won't, from the Mavs, the Mavs picks, the Mavs picks, okay? But just please just admit it. Like the, Those whack-ass Dennis, Dennis Smith Jr., I, I love Dennis Smith Jr. I believe in him as a prospect. It just has not worked out yet. He has not been good enough, right? The, the picks are lottery protected, and they just had the Mavs, surrounded by Luka and KP, just had the best offense in the league. They're in the playoffs out west right now. I don't see any reason based off who Luca is to believe that that isn't going to continue, right? They should probably be a pretty comfy playoff team for quite some time. But again, anything could happen. Of course, of course. But just guys, like just for the love of God, admit it. Just admit that it was a bad trade. It was short-sighted. They didn't get the stars they wanted. It imploded. Everybody wants us to move on. But you guys yelled at me a year ago and I want apologies. Just say sorry. Just say you were wrong. Just say the trade stinks. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not happy about it either. Yeah, this, I'm this with you, man. I, you know, I've actually been on the record. I've been on the record as saying that this could be like the most disastrous trade that the Knicks have ever made, which it considering how many disastrous trades, like, and it's not just about what they got back. Yes, you could magically hit on a LeBron James at 26 with the Dallas pick and sure, everything yeah. looks good. Those odds are so low, but it's not just about what they got back. It's about the process and the process of that trade was horrendous. What they got back when they did it, how cocky they were about getting two players who were like the two like most flighty and indecisive players in the league. Everything about that trade was disastrous. And I get that Knicks fans are like really salty about it. And they, they just want to pretend that he's going to suck forever. And that, you know, Oh, well, he's got bad efficiency. So that means that his 39, 15 and three threes, which, you know, hasn't been done for except for like I think Giannis and Harden are the only two people to do it in the last five years like it is an absolutely devastating move that set the franchise back 
so much. And the only reason that they had to do it was to get rid of the terrible contracts that they signed. So it's disastrous moving moves compounding on disastrous moves. So, so people are like, oh, well, they had to get rid of Tim Hardaway Jr. They signed Tim Hardaway Jr. You don't get credit for doing a bad move to clean up your yes. earlier bad move. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. And then you say, okay, well, he didn't want to be here. The team alienated him. That is not an argument in favor of the front office. Like you have to make it work with your star player. That's why you draft star players is so you can figure out how to make it work to create a winning team around them. And lastly, he had, not he, the Knicks had all the leverage for the love of God. I don't know how many times I need to make this point. He doesn't, he, just because he demands a trade doesn't mean anything. You make him sign that qualifying offer. He's seven, three, uh, he's seven, three coming off an ACL injury. No player, the closest thing no, you had no to a franchise player. player. No healthy player has ever turned that max out, Mike. And this is and your you can just promise thing. him a sign and trade if you, you have to. Just you, promise him a sign and trade. But even still, oh, okay, seven three, sir, coming off the ACL tear. You really don't want to be here that bad. You're going to pull from out, half court. You're going you're to turn down one hundred and fifty, or even if we don't offer you the max, you're going to turn out one hundred forty, hundred thirty million, whatever that max ish thing would have looked like. Okay, then turn that down. Take the qualifying offer coming off an ACL tear. See how that goes for you. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like, that's, that's how that conversation goes. We're not scared of you. Like, l- let, we want you to be here. We want to sign you. We're going to prove it to you. But, like, for basically them to be like, hey, we don't want to sign you because we have some injury concerns. And then he's like, well, I don't want to be here. And then it's like, all right, well, we're just going to trade you to the Mavs who picked up the phone first. It was like – Which could have been done on draft night, but – Well, and the, the, fact, the fact that teams said that they did not get a chance to make an offer to me just completely – just solidifies how terrible the process was. Because if you're not going to every single team in the league – and being like, we have Porzingis on the block. What are you going to give us? Like, if you're not doing that for your star draft player who is 21 years old and just made an all-star team, 